0: Lord, thank you for this morning. Uh, the Word of God is fresh and alive, and you are able to do uh, exactly what you want with it. And so, Lord, I, uh, I'm i just a human voice here, uh, frail, sinful, unable, and may you be evident in the Word of God. May people, all of us, find you as the authority, the source, the, the delight, the power behind all that happens. And so bring your word to us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, uh, there's a great quote for you uh, from C.S. Lewis there on your sermon page. I will not spend too much time uh, with that except to say that C.S. Lewis was one of others who came up with this uh, idea that the claims of Christ are what we should really focus on. The claims of Christ are what we should really focus on. And Lewis is the one who came uh, to articulate a defense of the deity of Christ with essentially this kind of argument. If Jesus uh, said he was divine, uh, if he said that I and the Father are one, which he did say, uh, that there are really only a, a three options. He is who he said he was, he is Lord, or he is a liar, or he is a lunatic. Uh, And that is called the Lord-Liar-Lunatic Argument. And it's one to think about. And so this is a little bit longer, the quote there I have provided for you. Today, we're looking at Christ as the only way of salvation. Christ is the only way of salvation. Now, I stand before you as one who is from, I'm from Southern California, um, during the 70s, early 70s, my father worked with overseas American schools, so we lived in some exotic places like Dhaka, East Pakistan, which became Bangladesh. We lived in Karachi, lived out in the desert in Pakistan, lived in Tehran for a while. So very interesting uh, background uh, and have seen uh, Hinduism uh, practice firsthand as a young teenager. I've seen Islam uh, practice. I used to play cricket with uh, some a group a small group of American kids in eighth grade uh, in the middle of the desert in Pakistan, uh, and uh, we were the American team uh, uh, against uh, a, a Muslim kids, and so and every once in a while we'd crack one way out there and we'd win. I mean we'd win this. Uh, it was a great, exciting time. Uh, cricket in the middle of the desert uh, in Pakistan. Who would believe it? So I say all this to say that I sort of thought of myself as sort of a, a kind of a. I don't know, or at least experientially, sort of experienced a lot of different things. Well, at that time, I was about—I don't know—finished up high school in Southern California. Uh, I'm the youngest of five kids, and uh, my older brothers were uh, in college during the during the '60s and the the age of the hippies. And uh, I I was sort of in the '70s, sort of wandering around malls, you know, looking for something to protest, you know, I didn't, I missed the, I missed the 60s. Uh, we didn't have real bell-bottoms, we went and bought them, and um, so we were sort of these struggling kids trying to figure out we're supposed to, you know, rebel against something. We couldn't quite figure out what it was, so um, one of the cool things about being a part of that generation was that you could read avant-garde things, very unusual authors, and we were all sort of trying to find these secret formulas to spirituality um uh you you know the there it used to be like for instance the the health food store and i lived in encinitas california for uh, a number of years and my parents had a beautiful beach house on a cliff there's amazing and now nearby was the community market which smelled of papaya and uh you go in there and you would see all these really unusual books and uh, Spiritualities, new age things, the Tibetan Book of the Dead, uh, books by Carlos Castanega who would, would encourage you to, uh, you know, smoke or consume peyote, and then you'd have encounters with the spiritual world. Some of you are nodding your heads here. All right, we're gonna have to talk afterwards. So, um, and so I'm this young kid, you know, and I realize that these are the, these are the books that you know people that their... they you know, older people read these things, but. I bumped into these things, and we were all trying to find these, you know, sort of this, again, the secret, the secret, that's it, that's it, that kind of the secret, you know, and so uh, somewhere in all of this was, you know, health food and vegetarianism and um, really esoteric uh, books and spiritualities and sort of things. And, and sometimes it was kind of like the stranger, the better, you know, the more, more unusual, the better. And, of course, um, among these groups, everyone claims Jesus. I don't know if you know this, but every, you know, you go to a, if, if there are such things as New Age bookstores, or if you go, if you read, so, you know, somewhere around Chapter 5, Jesus shows up. He, he ha- He's part of the he's part of the lexicon. He's part of the thing. So they will have some sort of quotes by him, but not quite the Bible, a little bit different. Uh, they might want to be proving reincarnation, for instance, and uh, they'll have some, some Twisted way of presenting the thoughts of Christ, and so all these groups want to represent Jesus. And so, where I lived, uh, there was a um, the influence of a of an Eastern yogi from East India um, named the Paramhansa Yogananda. That's actually his name, and he wrote this famous book in the 1930s called "The Autobiography of a Yogi." And he was influential in the the life of the Beatles, and influential in, in the United States. He would go on tours and uh, explain uh, how to have inner peace, et cetera. As well, the, the, one of the places he visited and established was r- about 200 yards away from where I lived at the time. It's called the Self-Realization Fellowship. So we would encounter these people and have all these kinds of conversations. And again, I, I'm not a, not a believer at this time. And I say all this to say that um, there are a lot of Jesus's around around the world and, and in various there's many Jesus Christ's out there, um, and uh, they're, they are they uh, are presenting or backing a particular philosophy of life. For instance, among the Self Realization Fellowship, and I just heard this recently on some some podcast. It was uh, it was really uh, for what it's worth. It was the idea that you take someone like Martin Luther King Jr., right, a peace activist, right? Or take someone like Mahatma Gandhi, uh, again, a peace activist with all the problems that were happening in India in the 1930s and 40s. Uh, Any spiritual person in history, uh, this this is the theology or philosophy, any spiritual person in history has the Christ spirit, right? So, Mahatma Gandhi or Martin Luther King Jr. or anyone who's ever been sort of a spiritual, ethical, kind of moral, right? Right. They have the Christ spirit. So you you would see in the area where I was living, you would see uh, meditation gardens with representations of statues of different people. Again, Martin Luther, Mahatma Gandhi, and then throw in Jesus himself, right? So Jesus is there too. So they call this, you probably didn't sign up for this this morning, uh, they call this the, the Ascended Master, so that they started off like the rest of you and I, but they went through certain disciplines, they had certain detachments of, of life, they, they practiced certain things, and then they, they, this common spirit uh, invaded all of them, and so this is what people are looking for, they're wanting the Christ spirit to, to fall upon them. And then it leads to all kinds of blasphemous things, Like, uh, various groups teach that Jesus had this Christ spirit, right? But then he lost faith as he approached the cross, and uh, that's why he was crucified, right? So the spirit left him, and all these kinds of, these are very terrible ideas. So, now in the middle of all that, can Jesus speak for himself, Now we have all kinds of ideas about Jesus. In fact, it's really everyone has some sort of idea about Jesus, or they decide I'm not going to talk about Jesus. Years ago, it was Josh McDowell, the Christian apologist, back in the 70s and 80s? Josh McDowell commented that it was you could be in a taxi and you could talk to the taxi drivers about Muhammad or Buddha or anything, but the the moment you you mention the name Jesus, the atmosphere in the taxi changed. Have you ever experienced that? That The name of Jesus, is, it just is not a, a neutral name. What would happen if he spoke for himself? Now, of course, Martin Luther, our friend from 500 years ago, was struggling with, with great depression. Really, that's, a, that's probably the best word to put it. There's a, depression is really the word. He was feeling that he could not make God accept him. He knew that. This was a dreadful thing. It was a darkness descending upon his, his heart. He was depressed. and he had tried everything about his church, everything he had the, the Roman church had prescribed for him. He had tried to do it. In fact, one time in his life he was young, and he had an opportunity to travel with another monk from Germany to Rome. Now, from the Roman Catholic Church, a pilgrimage to Rome is the big deal. It's to be transformative. It tra- has a has a power to it. It takes a long time back in those days, no transportation like we have, to get from Germany to, to Italy. And they got there. And one of the exercises you're to do is you are to go up, Uh, this this staircase, which actually relates to the time of Christ and when when Pilate uh, interrogated Christ and they claimed these are the staircase that Pilate used. They brought them over from the Holy Land. And so you would go up this staircase on your knees and on each step what you would say is the Lord's Prayer. And at the top, you are to experience something ecstatic, something remarkable, personally, and you might just have the sense that you have caused a relative of yours to spring out of purgatory. Now, that's that's superstition, folks. The Bible doesn't teach that, right? That is superstition. And Luther did it. He went step by step, repeated the Lord's Prayer on each step, got to the top, and he said, what on earth is this all about? That's what he said. This can't do anything. This can't mean, right? Now, if Jesus begins to speak for himself, watch out. And if you are, you're not a Christian here today, I would encourage you to start with the Gospel of John. Let Jesus begin to speak for himself. If you're working with a co-worker, someone at the office, someone a neighbor, someone you know, just get them to look. I'm not here to present a perfect defense of the Christian faith. I'm not here to give an exhaustive, detailed defense of the claims of Christ. I'm here to just introduce you to the idea that you can find Jesus in the scriptures themselves. God has not left us with superstitions. He's not clouded this, the way to heaven. He's not made it uh, full of mystery. It's clear he's given us the scriptures. For instance, let me just say these out loud. Listen to Matthew 11. All things have been committed to me by the Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. Come to me, all you who are weary and and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Of course, he's claiming the authority to give rest. John 6. Then they asked him, what must we do to, to do the works that God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, that you believe in the one he has sent. John 6, 29. Various religious groups may include Jesus in their teachings. They may create a statue of him and put him in the garden with other transcendent masters. But he excludes himself from the group. It's the Christian who feels that they are uh, they are obligated or they, they feel compelled to somehow uh, that they themselves are the way to eternal life. Or they, because they are making an exclusive claim are the author of this exclusive claim. Folks, we just need to represent the one who said these things. I am the bread of life, John six thirty five. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. My Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life and I will raise them up on the last day, John six thirty five and 40. Everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. Isn't that remarkable? Do you hear Jesus representing himself? He's not including himself in some religious club of leaders, group of leaders. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, and I will have the light of life. I am the resurrection, that's John 8. I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even though he die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. John eleven twenty five 25 through 26. You see how powerful it is to let Jesus represent himself. John 14, 6. The disciples are talking about. How do we find the Father? How how do we get to the Father? And Jesus replies, I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the way to the Father, John 14, 6. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. And so the claims of Christ are exclusive. And when we use the phrase alone, Christ alone, right, sola, scriptura only the scriptures alone now doesn't that sound arrogant alone right this is the only way right that just that just doesn't work right but it's interesting in other fields of thought or study it works all the time for instance some of you are math great at math and um, we've had you know astronauts and all kinds of amazing people uh, in this church and you know we think about the, the precision that's required and in uh, astrophysics imagine the person who's trying to counsel you know the, the Apollo 13 uh, the, that disastrous thing that turned out okay right and, the, and they're re- returning to orbit they're trying to get back to the earth and, and the angle you all know this that the angle in which they come if it's too shallow what will happen you just, you just kind of just adios you'd never see them again if it's too shallow if it's too steep what might happen they burn up right Learn this through you know, studying rockets and re entry of rockets. And, and so, this re entry has to have a certain angle. And I, I read up on this and it got a little t- too complicated for me. <laughs> and, and I just said, I think I'll just keep it simple. And so, and, I, and it just it had to do with speed and all, the, all, all kinds of different things. And But imagine someone that in Houston, you know, during the Apollo 13 saying, I don't know, it doesn't matter, just get them back here. It doesn't matter. I mean, are you the one and you're the only one? You did all the arithmetic and did all the math, and you're saying this is the only angle that will work? Is that what you're saying? And, of course, everyone would say, brilliant, thank you, good job. Not just any old math uh, math ideal will work here, <laughs> right? That's why we don't want me in that room, right? That's why it's good. This is good. Keep them behind the pulpit. That's fine. In, in, in all these other areas of study we have precision we have accuracy you know imagine these weather people and all these storms and they've made a they made a mistake. We're looking for accuracy and amazing that they have the data and they're able to make accurate predictions it's amazing right Now when it comes to transcendent truth when it comes to absolute truth, this is a hard thing for, for even Christians to get their minds around. And I want to just read this for you from Colossians, which is our text today, and I'm going to wrap this up. Look look at this, what the Apostle Paul says in um, verse 13 uh, of Colossians. You have it there in your worship folder. Um, He has delivered us from the the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, uh, that is not presented to us as some sort of uh, spiritual truth. That is presented to us as truth. That is not just the Apostle Paul's opinion. That is presented to us as truth. Now, do you feel how like that's like, well, wait a minute, really? Do <laughs> you feel like you just can't say that in our day and age, right? Notice he presents it, the truth, that this divine Son is overseeing a kingdom. And through him, you can know for sure the forgiveness of sins. Tell me more about this divine son. Look at verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Again, a statement of, of fact. It's presented to us not just as some sort of well, spiritual truth, but it is presented to us as the way the universe really is. Verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. This means he was a kind of prototype of a new humanity, He's the second Adam, see, the firstborn from the dead, meaning he is a new kind of humanity. That in everything, what was the purpose of this? That in everything he might be preeminent, he might be Lord over this new creation. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of of his cross. Apparently, Christians in Colossae had a diminished view of the divine Son. And I think that's true for us. We have a diminished, theologians call the study of Christ Christology. Diminished Christology, a diminished view. And of course, this is an exalted Christology that Paul is presenting to the Colossians. Well, why is this important today? Well, obviously, we live in an age of increasing pluralism, and that is just the way it is. Christianity does fine when there are gods on hundreds of hills, that's fine. When there are all kinds of truth claims, Christianity can encounter these truth claims. But what's remarkable is not just what Americans believe—that's certainly not my concern. What it is that Christians believe, and the Pew Forum, the Pew Research Institute, uh, did a study some time back, and they they found that only thirty-five percent of evangelical, excuse me, forty-five percent of evangelical Christians could clearly affirm that a personal belief in or a relationship with Christ was essential for eternal life, only 45%. Now, Jesus is the one who represents himself in these exclusive claims. And yet, in the church, we are at least this evangelical church, kind of a broad term, we are willing to embrace that there are other ways of salvation. In fact, a number of people increasingly are saying, yes, grace is needed, but works, good, good effort, also is needed for salvation. Increasingly, this is the way it is. A large percent of evangelical Christians believe that there are many paths other than faith in Christ, to God and eternal life. It doesn't is not at all represented in Colossians chapter one, where it says He transferred us to the kingdom of His blessed Son. There is one kingdom, the redemption, and the forgiveness of our sins. So, this is the beginning of a robust Christology that we need personally, for our children, for our families, for our church. We must hold high this doctrine. We must keep it central, and we must remember it. Often we come to God for many things. We want him to be our sugar daddy. We want him to be the deliverer of blessings to us. Colossians 1 describes the blessing. The forgiveness of sins. For our old friend Luther, this was this was everything. If you don't have the forgiveness of sins, you don't have anything. And that was my experience as well. And I did not understand my need for the forgiveness of sins until I'd never I'd never learn it from walking among the transcendental meditation gardens of Encinitas, California. I would never learn that my sins needed to be forgiven. I thought I was just fine, by the way. I was a very happy pagan. I wasn't miserable at all. I went to church the, the morning I was converted. I, was, I had no interest in Jesus. Zero zip, nada. And I was determined to get through the service, stand up, sit down, rah, 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 you know, and, and you know, do the church stuff and get out of there and get back to my life. and i heard a truth that was deeply disturbing to me jesus was no longer lost in history but he was loose he was loose oh yeah i guess i i guess the bible does teach that he rose from the dead and then i guess the bible does teach that he ascended into heaven and the acts acts chapter 9 which was the context that i was converted by where i heard the conversion of saul of tarsus where he is where saul of tarsus who becomes the apostle paul is knocked off his donkey that was remarkably uncool for me to understand about jesus jesus this spiritual master jesus this ascended lord right these are all these new age ideas what he's knocking people off donkeys what? He's loose in my history, in my life, hovering over my life, knowing the story of my life? That was a transcendent experience, let me tell you. And I cried out for God. to God, help me. Do in me what you did in that man. I had nothing else to say, no other words to articulate, but the point isn't to have the focus on me. Jesus is loose in history. And there will be times when he may be popular. There will be times when he captures the imagination of a whole nation. And there will be times when that nation turns completely away from him. But that's not our concern. Our concern is the church. And only Christ is their found salvation. This is what Luther was willing to put his life on the line for. He had found Christ. And he had found the forgiveness of sins. Ultimately, let me wrap it up. Luther discovered essentially that God is found in his promises. God is not found in pilgrimages. God is not found in fastings. God is not found in cooperating with grace. God is found only through encountering him in his promises. Luther would write a book called The Babylonian Captivity of the Church. And he writes these words. For God does not deal, nor has he ever dealt, with man otherwise than through a word of promise. We, in turn, cannot deal with God otherwise than through faith in the word of his promise. He does not desire our works, nor does he need them. (laughs) But God has need of this, that we consider him faithful in his promises, and patiently persist in this belief. Promise and faith must necessarily go together, for without the promise, there is nothing to be believed. And without faith, the promise is useless, since it is established and fulfilled through faith. Luther found Christ and the promises of salvation through faith. Have you? Have you? Have you cast yourself upon the promise of God for forgiveness? Through faith, God, whom you cannot see, will be present to you. And he will bring his sweet, saving mercy to your soul. May you find Christ today. Let's pray. Our Father, who could say the things that Jesus said? And not be that one. And Father, if we hear his words, we have also to just watch his life. And to watch the objective testimony of scripture. So come to us, Lord, and promise. Feed us, Lord, at the Lord's Supper. For give faith, Lord, to those today who need strengthening. Father, for those who do not yet believe, may Christ become sweet to them. May he become a compelling desire in their hearts. Oh, may you receive their cry, Lord, the cry of faith. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.